0: Sweating too much this summer? You need to replace your electrolytes. You've got to try Drink LMNT if you haven't done this. Let's Run users are loving this stuff. I love it. I will refund your $5 shipping if you don't like this. It's free. Free sample pack. You pay $5 shipping. You get six different flavors. Go to drinklmnt.com slash let's run. There's a link in the show notes. drinklmnt.com slash let's run. Check it out now. I guarantee you'll love it.
1: Hello everyone, welcome to this week's edition of the let Track Talk podcast. Plenty to talk about, as always, in the track and field world. Hope you recovered for the Olympics because we've got a heaping portion of track and field to serve your way this week. The Alberto Salazar building at Nike is no more. It's been renamed. Most of the full marathon fields are out. We've got a lot, of t- lot to talk about there. And this weekend... One of the best track and field meets in the United States. Elliot Kipchoge is on his way, people. He's heading to Oregon, the Prefontaine Classic at the new Haywood Field. Star-studded fields, world record attempts, showdowns that we didn't get to see in Tokyo. Shikari Richardson's back. It's going to be a great track meet. We'll break all of that down. This is Jonathan Golt, Let'sRun.com staff writer. I am joined by co-founders of Let'sRun.com, Robert and Weldon Johnson. Guys... Welcome to the show.
2: Thank you, John. Let me ask him. I'm a little bit confused. L.A. Kipchoge is headed to Oregon, what, for a victory lap? He's not actually racing in the pre-class, is
1: he? To my knowledge, no. I don't. I can't confirm that 100% because the full fields are not actually out yet, even though the meet begins two days. But I think this is just, he's meeting with his Nike bosses. You know, he'll put in some appearances in town, that sort of thing.
2: Very interesting. A lot to talk about here can we talk first john about this salazar building because i just you know i wasn't paying much attention to it it's virtue signaling it's fine if they don't want to name the building after him but it's just the whole thing's kind of annoying to me that people are more outraged that he fat shamed somebody than actually was banned from 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 doping violations but wait a minute i'm, I'm googling here i'm not quite sure the new name of the building is the Vaporfly building, the next percent building, something
1: like that. The next percent building, which is quite odd because if you know Nike, they name their buildings after athletes, you know, Sebastian Coe, uh, was Salazar, that sort of thing. It's kind of strange to have a building named after this technology, though I guess it is one of their greatest innovations in the world. Gr- greatest
2: innovations, you strip the name of a building. Because a coach is a doping coach, and then you name the building after a doping shoe? This is mechanical doping. No, 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 no. Folks, if you want to sign the petition, go to change.org right now. I will start it. This is kind of ironic, right? I mean, Salazar was sort of controversial because he pushed the legal limit. And some would say because of his doping ban that he doesn't deserve to be on this building. Um, And then ironically, they named the building after the shoes that were. Guilty of mechanical doping at the 2016 Rio Olympics. Elliot Kipchoge is the greatest. I'm not going to deny that. But in my mind, he only has one Olympic medal.
0: Thank you, Robert. Thank you. Nike's gotten smart, though. I said this all along. I said, just don't name buildings after people. I think the big takeaway from all of this should be, you name buildings after people who are 150 years old, or currently alive, you may find out, guess what? They were human beings. Not that all sins are equal. Well, I'm not a theologian. Alan Webb, please chime in. But the history of the world is that mankind is full of sinners. And if you name a building after someone and expect a perfect standard, you may be disappointed. Not that what Salazar did was perfect by any means, but like it's kind of crazy, right? The people who were the most exalted people at Nike. I mean, are, are we over 50% of people they've named buildings down but have taken them down? Joe Paw, Lance Armstrong, Alberto Salazar. What buildings still have are named after people? Does anyone know? Can we get a, a staff directory? No, It really is interesting if you think about it
2: because it just shows you how corrupt and disgusting society is and how flawed actually everybody is. Think about this. I don't even know how many buildings they have on the damn campus, but three of the more prominent buildings... These are people that were alive in the last thirty years, not just alive. People that we were exalting, and we're ripping, stripping down their names. The more I think about it, I think before I die, Washington D.C.'s name is going to be changed. It sounds crazy, but it's going. The writing's on the wall. That's your why. What did Washington like? do? You're kidding, John.
1: Owned he, slaves? Is this yes? He owned saying?
2: slaves. He had people that like were in chains and was working for him. Imagine if we had John, you know, John doesn't earn that large of a salary, but what if John was forced to work for us
1: for
0: free? That's the stupidest comment I've heard.
1: <laughs> You're just casually floating the idea of, of slavery in the year 2021 here, Robert, what are you doing?
2: Hey, man, I've seen the Taliban take over Afghanistan. You don't know what's next.
0: We've not mentioned the big event going on right now live as we're broadcasting the World under twenty—that's what—that's the junior school. going on Nairobi, Kenya. I'm seeing India. I just saw an Indian javelin thrower. I mean, I just now know the future is India. India is on the podium of the four by four. Just saw a bunch of overage Ethiopians win the three k. But I always wonder why this championship exists.
1: What do you mean? Why does this championship exist? This championship's awesome. We get to see like the young stars, the next generation. I mean, many, many of the top athletes at the Olympics have gone through this championship. Cheptegei, Borrega, Jakob Ingebrigtsen, Faith kipyegon they all competed here. And I was looking back, 2018, do you realize that in the men's 5000 at the 2018 World Juniors, we had Salomon Borrega, Jakob Ingebrigtsen, and Jacob Kiplimo. And none of those guys won the gold medal. It was actually Edward Zakayo of Kenya beat all of those guys. Two of them ended up winning Olympic gold and then Jacob Diplimo Olympic bronze. They were all in this race three years ago. And yet the guy who won, I don't think he even made it to the Olympics. He might've been injured Edward Zakayo, but it's pretty, it's pretty crazy.
0: I guess I shouldn't say, I don't know why it exists. I guess I shouldn't be shocked that there are no fans, but that's, I think because of COVID, but probably without COVID, there'd be no fans. But America didn't bother to send a team. But uh, the rest of the world keeps showing up.
2: Look, I, I think it's interesting because America's not there. We haven't been paying as much attention as normal. But John wrote a great preview. I just published it this morning Five Things to Watch at the World Junior Championships. It was really interesting because he, he started with that stat about all the people, you know, Brago, Chapter Guy, another person, John Miller, Shawnee Miller, Webo was a former World Junior star. Um, but a few things here one in terms of this age cheating john had some stuff about this before he got to the distance previews and first of all just because someone's running like yeah i was watching that men's 3000 i was like how old are these ethiopians i will say in general though i think that the ethiopians look older just in natural as compared to some other people like i just think they have a tougher life because i was looking at tokyo i think some of those runners look pretty young like jacob kaplimo looks pretty young and you have to – just because someone runs 12.55, that doesn't mean that they're an age cheat. The reality is we've seen that. We know that Jacob Ingebrigtsen, his age is legit, and look how good he is at that age. So I do think – another example is Elliot Kipchoge added this to the article. He just won the second Olympic gold you know, in the marathon at 36. That's his official age. We know for a fact 18 years ago he ran 12.52 and 7.30. So he's either older than 36 now, or he didn't run that at age 18. So I just think that we've got to, you know, I think five years ago, there was, don't misunderstand me. There was a lot of age cheating going on, but I think we got into the habit of thinking everyone that runs super fast at this at a world junior is automatically age cheating. I don't think that's the case. It very well may be the case with the Ethiopians. I don't know, but hell again, but so had a long career, whatever. That's point number one. Point number two is, John introduced to me someone named Sasha Zoya, and this is pretty amazing. This is a French athlete who was better than Mondo Dupontis. He holds the age fourteen record, the age briefly held the age under eighteen record in the pole vault. Better than Dupontis, he went five fifty six. Dupontis went five fifty one under eighteen. Now this guy doesn't even pole vault. He's given up the pole vault, John, to do the hurdles. That's true crazy so he could certainly be a star in paris 2024
1: well he's given up the pole vault because he's also one of the best like he's the world under 18 record holder in the 110 hurdles he's the world under 20 record holder in the 60 hurdles he's the heavy favorite here in the 110 hurdles at the world under 20 so it's not like he's just abandoned the pole vault for something he's not good at it kind of reminds me of carsten Warholm. carsten Warholm at the World Under-18 Championships in 2013, he won the Octathlon, which is essentially what they do instead of the Decathlon. He was multi-talented. Sasha Zoya, also extremely multi-talented. He's gone in on the 110 hurdles, but yeah, could be a big time star. And Weldon, I just wanted to spell, you know, something you said here. You said you thought that no one would show up for this meet if they hosted it. I disagree. Now, my, my memory is... 2017, Kenya hosted the World Under-18 Championships, the last edition. This meet no longer exists. And the first couple of days, I don't think the crowds are that big. And then the last couple of days of the weekend, they basically, I think it was just free admission. Like they let anyone show up. The crowds were enormous and they were really, really into the meet. Like it was really loud for some of these races. They saw some great races. They, remember, this, is the, this might be the biggest track meet Africa has ever hosted. They've never had an Olympics. They've never had a Commonwealth Games they they've had african championships obviously but the world under 20 championships this could be the biggest meet in the history of africa on the track and it, are they going to sell it out no but if this was a normal year and they just sort of allowed free admission to the upper bowl i think you get a ton of fans i think the atmosphere would be electric if this was a legit year
0: wait the under 17s were packed
1: under 18s yes the up like it wasn't totally sold out, but there were a lot of fans in this. I looked at some of the videos with, like, George Maningoy. Kenya going 1-2 in the steeple and George Maningoy winning the 1500. The fans were like, it was big time Well done.
2: I can't believe Weldon doesn't think that because he went to World Cross. Like, a lot of Kenyans, I mean, no offense, they've never been to a sporting event or major sporting event. Um, there really aren't anything to go to in Kenya. So there's an event. You're going to go. There's not as much Netflix and stuff going on over there. It's like, let's go. You know, it's kind of like it reminds me of America like 30 years ago. Like when the circus came to town, you went to the circus. When we were well in our kids, the indoor track came to town, you went to the indoor track. We didn't have as million options to go to. So I think it would have been packed. I think it's kind of sad that the U.S., Great Britain aren't sending teams. Speaking of which, I think Moe and Kelly Hodgson, John point out, would both be eligible for this meet to run in the 800. How crazy is that? There are actually, I wasn't planning on starting the show with this, but there's two people I really want to see run. Um, John's got Christoph Rosenicki of Poland in the men's 800. He's run 144.51 at age 17. That's pretty sick. And then I'm really excited to see Kumar Atiang in the men's 1500. Because remember, as good as the third, like, like the third and fourth placers at the Kenyan tr- Ethiopian tr- uh, at the Kenyan 1500 meter trials this year were. Amazing at the Olympics, right? I mean, the fourth placer got second in the Olympics, and the third placer got what, fourth in
1: the Olympics? Yes, yeah.
2: This guy, Kamara beat them both. He was second at the trials. He's like 17. He didn't have enough drug tests. So he really could be, if you're going to wonder who's going to be challenging Jacob Ingebrigtsen in the years to come, maybe it's this guy because he's younger.
1: Yeah, I knew that Robert could not resist a Polish 800-meter phenom, Christoph Rosnicki. It's ser- 144 at 17. That's I mean that's just totally sick. Like th- that's a high schooler, maybe a high school junior. You know, you don't turn 18 until you're senior year of high school in the U.S. And he's around 144. I mean, God, could you imagine the hype if he was American? That would be amazing.
0: Okay, this Sasha dude, I'm just sort of fascinated. He's still not pole vaulting. They make you just keep trying to do both till you figured it out. Maybe he thinks it's dangerous. And also, I'm sort of shocked with, with no hur- no hurdling. That do you guys know he's run a 12.87 for the 110-meter hurdles? I mean, John, you know this because you wrote the damn article. But it's kind of crazy. If the hurdles are short. Well, I guess if it was flat, they would blast it. So maybe it's not that shocking. But it's all about how high the hurdles are.
1: Yeah, that was at the under 18, 36-inch height. So Grant Holloway is hurdling barriers that are six inches taller than that. But, no, it is pretty crazy. I We need an intervention here. We need to get Javon Harrison on a plane to France, and he needs to sit him down and say – It is possible to do two different events at the highest level. You need to be the world's first pole vault hurdle star. Okay. I'm
0: just a little down, guys. You guys a little down after the Olympics? About to say, can we turn to the meet we're supposed to be the most excited about every year in the United States, the Prefontaine Classic. But it is this weekend. It's Friday, Saturday. We're not going to be there. I am curious to see what the attendance is like. It's later in the year, but I wonder if the rest of the world is having a little... Post Olympic night down, let down, but also with the Delta variant increasing, that could, that could always be a convenient excuse for fans not being there. But to any Nike executives ex- listening or anyone associated with the Diamond League, our sport is supposed to be a professional sport. This is two days before the world's biggest track in the United States, and we don't even know who's running. That is unprofessional. It is not how it should work. We should have standards for the Diamond League. Two weeks out, provisional fields are announced, and then you can update as it goes. Or if there's stuff for promotional reasons, whatever. But for sure, by one week out, there's no reason to hold a name back. Or if you get a big name, announce it then later. I mean, you can still do your promotional stuff and have provisional fields, but there's no reason we shouldn't know who is racing who come Friday.
1: Especially because – Most of these fields, Nike, it's part of your Nike contract. You have to run the pre-classic. So they can say, hey, Matthew Centuritz is running the Balmain Mile. Okay, that's actually a bad example because they announced that a few, you know, about a month ago. But so for some of these events where you know you've got Nike people running it, just say, hey, we know we've got these ones. We're going to add a couple more. I agree. It's ridiculous. Well, like, I'm supposed to write a preview of this meet, and I don't know who's running half of the events. Like, what the hell?
2: And what are the NBC executives supposed to do? They're, they're broadcasting this meet live on NBC. How are they supposed to pre- prepare for it? But, guys, stop complaining. I think this is great because it gives us something to talk about every week on the Friday 15 bonus podcast. If you love this podcast, you'll love the VIP Supporters Club bonus podcast even more. Sign up today. Support independent journalism. Let's run.com slash subscribe. Although it's kind of weird. this is the, I'm very excited about this meet. Well, instead of fatigued, no, I feel like this is the one year I'm super excited for what's happening after the Olympics. Like I'm not fatigued. It's er, the Olympics were earlier in the year. We've got pre everyone is forced to go to pre. It's going to be amazing. I'm so pumped for it. Now. The only problem is my parents are coming into town. I'm going on vacation. Um, we're not going to, John's got a wedding, so I don't think we're actually going to be able to recap this meet, but Safana sounds going for a world record on Friday night. And then we've got the main meet on Saturday. Uh, I am so pumped for this and I was thinking about this, folks. Here's my hot take. Could this meet be bigger than the Olympics for Matthew Sentchowitz? Think about this right now. If if one week from today, if Matthew Sentowitz somehow goes to this meet and smashes Alan Webb's record and runs a 345 in the mile, and if he could if he could actually do that and win this race, run three forty five in front of the Doring Oregon Faithful, I think everybody would forget completely about the Olympics. And in terms of his legacy, people would say he won Olympic gold. He was the American mile record holder. People wouldn't give a shit what he did in in Tokyo.
1: Robert, this isn't a hot take. Do you think anyone's really going to care, you know, when Matthew Centris retires that he didn't make the final in 2021 at the Olympics? He got fourth in 2012. He won the damn thing in 2016. As soon as you win the Olympics as an American distance runner, that's it. Your, your resume set, you know, you, like no one's going to be like, oh man. But the next time he ran the Olympics five years later, when he was 31 years old, he didn't make the final. Who cares? Like, it doesn't really make a difference. And I will say this. I think if he showed up and won the Olympics, he's a double Olympic champion. It's just him and co. That's a bigger deal than him breaking the American record in, a mo- in an event that people don't really run that often.
2: So you just contradicted yourself. What do you mean? You said if he was a double Olympic champion, they would care, but if he doesn't win, then no, no, no one no. cares.
1: I'm si- no, okay, his legacy is going to be improved by winning a second Olympics, yes. But no one's going to be saying when he retires, oh, but that third Olympics he ran at, he wasn't that good. That's not, people aren't going to care about it. The only way he could have, the only thing that could have happened at, in Tokyo is for Centro to have improved his legacy. But he wasn't going to like mar it in any way by failing to make the final.
2: What's interesting to me, and John, in terms of the, of, the, of the legacy is I don't think they would have cared about that fourth place either in the Olympics. I think it was either double gold. That would be huge, obviously, and put him up there with Sepco Or, you know, if, even if he would gotten a, a minor medal here, in terms of, like, the average casual track and field fan, I think they'd rather see him get the American record in the mile than they would get, like, a bronze medal at these Olympics. Now, that may not be right, but... You know, I I think that this could be huge for his legacy if he somehow can't produce. Now, we've been waiting for him to produce for the last month, and it hasn't happened. He keeps saying he's in amazing shape. He was talking big before the U.S. trials. Didn't win it. He was talking big before the American record attempt in the mile. Didn't get it. Didn't even come close to get it. He was talking big before the Olympics. Doesn't even make the final. So what's going to happen here? We shall see. To me, this is the last chance. Like, if the workouts have been going they should have just tapered down to strides now. There's no excuses anymore. Um, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see. I was going to say, like, if he gets the American record, it doesn't really matter because, like, I mean, what happened in, in Tokyo, because there was no way he was going to, as fast as that race was, there was no way he was going to win that race. But what's ironic is if he actually runs like a 345 mile, that's a pretty fast 1,500 meter time. So <laughs> then you think, oh, wait, he should
1: have been competitive in the Olympics. Yeah, well, I think one thing, Robert, you said there's no excuses. All right, I'll give you one excuse is if this race doesn't go out. Now, I assume it's going to be paced to run, you know, American record pace or faster. You've got you've got Timothy Cherriot in there. You've got Jakob Ingebrigtsen. They just went 1-2 in the Olympics. They ran 328 and 329. You would think they'd be shooting for a time in the mid-340s. But let's remember, we just don't see really, really fast miles anymore. The last time someone broke 347 for the mile, do you guys remember it?
2: Alan Webb, but that's just because no one runs the mile.
1: Alan Webb. But they, they run the mile at this meet every year, though, and we get stacked fields every year. What's different this time is this is after the Olympics. This isn't in May with people building up to the championship. It's after the championship where people are hunting fast times. So I'm hoping this is finally the time where we get to see the best milers in the world really let it loose and chase off a fast time. I think we could see 345 maybe in this race from Ingebrigtsen or Chariot.
2: No, what's different also is the time of year. Normally pre-classic is very early in the year, and also the number of people in the field. Normally there's an embarrassing large number of people in the field, and it's too crowded. And that's a major problem in the mob because you're starting on a turn. Right now I'm doing the math. I've never seen a field like this. One, two, three, four, five, six. There's only eight people in the field right now so this is amazing there's not that many people the other thing that's embarrassing about this race is they need to have the timing lights they need to have the pacing lights with the resources that oregon has and that nike has how in the hell do they not have the pacing lights on this track and if they don't want to spend the money on the permanent pacing lights hey we've got our guy lightspeed pacing he will fly out there i promise you he can get there by saturday so pre-classic call him up now john Give his name. I always forget it. I apologize. He always likes it when I want to shout out his name on the podcast. I may go into business with him because every college, every high school in the country should have one of these portable systems you can put up. When you're running to workouts, coach says hit 70. The little kid, the 13 year old, doesn't have to think about what a 70 is. The light pacing does it for you. Right here, they should put it on 345 mile pace and just people just focus on that. The rabbiting needs to be
1: right from the start. Yeah, David Hudman is his name. Uh, we appreciate his work. And I would, I would agree with you, Robert. I I don't know if pre-classic – I mean, this is the first sort of non-championship meet that Haywood Fields hosted. I guess they hosted some regular season meets for Oregon. But, like, you know, they had NCAAs. They had the trials. You don't have pacing lights for this. You would hope, if they do have pacing lights, that they would break it out, especially Safan Hassan's targeting the 5K world record on Friday night. But I, I do want to clarify this one thing. You said there's only eight people in the field. I expect that number to grow. It might it might get as bit much as double that size because they said when they announced this field about a month ago, this is just who we've got right now. We expect this to grow. So this is still basically that preliminary entry list, and I expect them to have a bunch more guys in this race by the time Saturday rolls around.
0: I mean, the eight people is just sort of fascinating. What if they did just eight? And I was about to probably say something that would piss off a bunch of people listening, but what about all the spare American milers who have been going to these rando meets for the last six weeks running? I don't know. 336 is 337. So there's a lot of those guys who'd want to be in this race, but if we start this thing with eight, well, I guess Centro, well, I mean, Jai Edwards has run 349 this year, right? Could Centro get last place? Essentially is a legitimate question.
1: Against that field, I, I think he could. Uh, Philip Angerbricks. What's Philip Angerbricks in run this year? Like, but like, was Jake Hayward made the Olympic final? Oliver Hoa made the Olympic final. I mean, Angerbricks in, and and He's not beating those guys. It's if he has a bad race, yeah, it could happen.
0: Yeah, Jake Hayward. So we recap the Running Warehouse Tokyo prediction contest. That story is up and. The guy who tied for second place, 19-year-old British guy, huge Let's Run.com junkie like most of our winners are. But he's like, oh, and another thing, I used to train every Monday at the exact same time on the same track as Jake Hayward, you know, who made the Olympic final. And I'm like, Jake Hayward? I'm like, Britain had a third guy in the Olympic 1500-meter final. He actually beat Jake Whiteman by one spot in the final. And I didn't even realize it. That's how good the British milers were doing this year.
1: Oh, I thought you were going to say Jake Hayward finished second in our contest. I'm still waiting for that to happen, for some like real legit pro to do well in one of our contests. I know that they come to Let's Run. I don't think they enter the prediction contest in great numbers, but that'll be pretty awesome. Like, What if some guy gets to the Olympics or the World Championships and then picks himself the medal and that's what gets him on the Let's Run podium? That would be pretty great. Look,
2: they're gonna add more people. They always do. There's a ton of Americans that wanna run in this race and there is an international mile which has no entrance in it right now. So I bet there's probably they're just trying to figure out who deserves to be in there and who doesn't. But I uh, I would rather see it smaller. I would rather see it start exactly on the perfect pacing. I think that like how if you ask yourself how in the hell was Timothy Cherrett able to PR Monaco when he wasn't in shape to win the Olympic title? I think part of this because the pacing was perfect with the pacing lights this year. So on a mile in particular, it's much more important than 1,500. You don't want to have too many people because they're starting on a turn. They're going to run extra distance. So if anything, they should do a two turns, uh, have a double waterfall. Put the elite five guys, put Timothy Chariot, Centrowitz, Jacob brigham Britson whoever's really going to go for this time, put them together, maybe on the outside box or whatever, or on the inside box, and then everybody else in a second waterfall. I've never seen them do that on a mile, but they should figure it out because you don't want the pushing and shoving and fighting that you normally see at this pre-classic. Watch the start. If there's 15 people, I want you closely to watch the start, and you'll just see people wasting tons of energy having to fight in the first 10 feet.
1: All right, well, we may as well continue our pre-Fontaine Classic preview. It's a two-day meet this year. Friday night is women's night. And then Saturday is the regular Diamond League program. And we've got some pretty great races on Friday night. The 800, I mean, it's it's essentially an Olympic final rematch with Natoya Ghul, Keely Hodgkinson, Athing Mo, Raven Rogers, Jemmy Rieke, Halima Nakai, RJ Wilson. I mean, you've got the top four from the Olympics and you've got Kate Grace, who was on fire earlier in the season after the Olympic trials. That's going to be a great race. But the, the highlight of Friday night is Safan Hassan is targeting the 5,000-meter world record. And I, I just want, I want to ask you guys right now, what do you think Safan Hassan's 5,000 PR is right at this moment?
2: Well, I read the pre-classic
1: press release. All right. Well, well, then, what's your guess? And I'm trying to think what the world record is. It's got to be under 1420, right? It's only 1422. What do you think the the world record is? Do you guys know that?
0: I feel like it was 1411, and now it's like 1406.
1: Spot on, Mr. Johnson, spot on. 1406, last year, and Bet Gide on World Record Day in Valencia. Obviously, Hassan can run faster than 1422. She's run 351 for 1500. She's run 29.06 for 10,000 meters. That 10,000 meters was a world record earlier this year. It lasted two days. Gide took it down. Now Hassan can return the favor, take down one of Gide's records. I think she's, she certainly has shown the fitness to run faster than 14.06. I think there are two issues here. One, the pacing needs to be right. If she has the pacing lights, that's a huge boon. That's what Gide had if Hassan doesn't have that it's going to be more difficult because you need to have a good internal clock and you have to have good rabbits to follow. The second thing is how recovered is she from Tokyo? She just attempted a triple that no one has ever no one even fathomed before this year. 1500, 5k, 10k in the Olympics. That takes a lot out of you. Now we've had 2 weeks since Tokyo, but you know, maybe she's not recovered. This that's my two questions. How's the pacing going to be? how recovered is she from Tokyo? Cause I do think she has the fitness to run possibly sub 14.
2: I'm not worried about her being recovered from three races. Let's be honest, John. I mean, I know there was some heats, but it's just one extra race compared to what everybody else runs. I guess it is a 25 lap race, but people do the five and the 10 pretty regularly adding in some 1500s, whatever. I just want to say she's a baller. I'm so impressed by her. Like the mental fatigue is what I'd be worried about, but she seems pumped for this. Whoever got her up for this is brilliant. This woman, when she sets her mind to do something, she actually normally does it. Weldon gets on me for saying it's not mental. With her, it clearly is mental. So I'm excited. Um, if it, you know That 1411 world record I knew was, was really weak. 1406 is getting closer to what it should be. I still think it should be under 14. So let's think here again. I was talking about what happens in a week from now. Sintuowicz is the American record holder. Her breaking the world record here would be nice. But what would really be remembered would be the sub 14 she could be the banister of the women's 5,000 meters.
1: Do you think it's going to happen?
2: Definitely not without the pacing lights. And uh, this is driving me nuts that we don't even know if there's pacing lights. Like,
1: I don't think there's going to be. I haven't heard it it touted anywhere that they're going to have pacing. Like you would think if they had a press uh, release saying Safan Hassan is going for the world record, they would also say, and we're making use of the revolutionary wave light pacing system that delivered world records last year, you know?
2: Well, we've got, don't we have Tom Jordan's number? I've not really hung out with him much. Hell, he probably said hi to him a few times, but someone's got to get in charge of this. This is embarrassing. Like, this is absolutely embarrassing if they don't have pacing lights. I'm going to go on a rant without even knowing the facts.
0: Can we just stop the hyperbole embarrassing rant? It's not the world's biggest thing. Reach out, be constructive, say, hey, we can get the pacing lights there. Just everything is not the end of the world apocalypse.
1: (laughs) Good perspective there. Well, then it's and this is still going to be a great track meet. Like I'm, I'm pumped that Hassan's going for a world well record. I'm going to watch that, even though it's probably going to be at like 1 a.m. Eastern time on Friday night. I'm still going to be staying up for it.
2: It's going to be a great track meet. I don't think they really need the need for some of these other events. Like they're going to have a women's two mile right before that, and then on Saturday they're going to have some obscure distance. The men's two mile. Actually, there's no men's five thousand. Doesn't look like. All right, speaking of hyperbole and the greatest and the worst and whatever, that actually gets me to a topic that I wanted to bring up on this podcast. And I've sort of mentioned, talked about it in the past, but it's an interesting one. So this week on the on the website, let'srun.com, Jonathan has written an article where he's graded all of the American distance runners from A-plus to F, all 32 people for every performance that they get a grade. And I edited the article. When I was reading it, I was like, some of these grades, I'm like, no, this grade is so far off. This is ridiculous. And the, the the number one example of this was Ellie Perrier. I mean, this was a woman that had soloed a 358 flat at the U.S. trials. We thought that she was going to go be a medal contender. I personally didn't expect her to medal, but I thought many people thought she was just right, with going to be right with Laura Muir. And then she was totally uncompetitive in the semifinal, only gets into the final on time, and then lays a goose egg in the final and runs 401. And John gives her a B minus. And to me, a B is a good performance. This was not good. It was disappointing to me. And I'm like, when I see disappointment as a grade, that has to be a D. So I gave her a D plus. But when I thought about it, I'm like, look, there's a natural tendency for John to rate these people a little bit higher because he's going to all these meets, he's interviewing them, he's worried what they think about them, he doesn't want to anger their coaches, and it's just human nature to soften everything. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing, you know, and I actually saw someone on Facebook when I put this article up, it's like, this is why no one likes you, let's run, because you're giving out D's and F's. Like, what am I supposed to do? I mean, Emma Coburn gave herself an F, so I gave her an F, as did John. But it was kind of interesting, because then a day later, the Chicago Marathon Elite Field comes out, and there's only one international woman in the entire field with a PR under 230. I mean, that's pretty unbelievable. And initially, I'm like, this is an embarrassment. And I was, I, I write this article and I'm like, I was like, this is going to be, this is an embarrassment. And yet before I published the article, before I tweeted it out, before I Facebooked it, I totally softened the entire article because I thought, well, there's no real reason just to slam them even though that was my first gut instinct. I'm like, I'm just going to say, like, is this feel worthy of a major? There's only one major. And then the tweet that I put out this morning was even nicer. Um, Instead of saying... The Chicago 2021 Chicago Marathon women's field is an embarrassment. I texted out. We're excited for the jam-packed fall marathon season, but are worried about the depth of the Chicago Marathon women's field. There's just one international woman with a sub 230 PP. Is it worthy of being called of a major? So I phrased it as a question instead of slamming them. And admittedly, I did it for the same reason. Kerry Kapanikowski was great to me. He had me pace Kerry, Catherine Indra, to a world record. He had Weldon pace Paul Ratcliffe to a world record. I think he's done a lot for U.S. distance running. I'm like, there's no reason just to slam this person. But I, I openly admit I did it just because I didn't want to piss off Perry. So is that bad, John? Weldon thinks it's bad when I slam people because it doesn't accomplish anything. So that's why I didn't do it, too. So someone could say this is actually more useful because it's leading us to dialogue instead of just conflict.
1: Well, Robert, you seem to be a man of extremes here. You can either slam someone or you're too soft on someone. I like to bring nuance to the equation, all right? Chicago, yes, this is a pretty shitty women's international field. But you've got to remember the context here. There are are five other majors taking place this fall. And Chicago, you know, when we look at the full marathon fields... The very, very fastest people looking to break world records, often they go to Berlin. It's not always the case, obviously. Bridget Cosguy did break the world record in Chicago in 2019. But, you know, Bekele, he's going out to Berlin. That's where he wants to go. We assume he's going to be chasing the world record there. Uh, and New York, usually New York gets better fields than Chicago, I would say. I guess maybe maybe not on the Wednesday. side. I mean, 2019, they had Mo Farah and Galen Rupp. But I don't know. I mean, the thing is, like, London. They're not going to outbid London for talent, right? When you're going up against London, that's automatically going to be tough. And if you look at the potential for this field, Sarah Hall's going after to the American record. That's exciting. That's one of the mo- things I'm m- the most excited about for the whole full marathon season is seeing Sarah Hall do that. And they've also got Ruth Chepengedich, who earlier this year broke the World Half Marathon record. She's the reigning world champion in the marathon. She's run 217. If Sarah Hall takes down Ruth Chepengedich to win the Chicago marathon and sh- sh- they both run good races. I don't think anyone can say, Oh, this was a soft field. You know, you've got the two people who went 2 three in London last year. And London's always the most competitive marathon of the year. The issue is Chep and just dropped out of the Olympic marathon. You know, she said she had some problems. What if she's off her game again? Well, if she's not there, then really you've just got a bunch of Americans battling it out against each other to win the race. And that you, I mean, as a fan of American distance running, it's cool to see an American win, but you want to see them actually beat some of the top talents to win a major and not just beat each other.
2: Well, if Kevin Geddes drops out or something, to me, that I mean, there's, a, there's just a massive asterisk. I mean, there was no one else to beat. Some American had to win it. But the other issue you're not raising, too, is uh, someone pointing this out in the forum. ASIC sponsors the Falmouth Road Race. Sarah Hall runs for ASICS. She was supposed to run Falmouth. She didn't run Falmouth. So is she injured? Now, maybe she's just focusing on her training, etc. This is a woman who likes to race all the time. So if you have your two stars, both of them injured, then it's a real problem. I did write the organizers. They said they could put, you know, I said, are you, you going to add to someone to the field? Because in years past, they've kind of added some people at the last minute. But then the question I always have, Chicago's done this a couple of times in the past. Someone's added to the field two weeks before. Were they even training for that race? Like, how does that work? But, um, you know, it, it's just, it's interesting. Like if Chep runs great, And Sarah Hall runs great. Then you've got two storylines and it's fine, but they're pushing the envelope here. And one thing I've said in the past is we've talked about this with the world marathon majors going to expand from six. Like how many majors can you have in golf and tennis? We have four. And I said, if they expand to eight, there's not enough elites to go around. To be honest, if you're going to not, if you're going to have people races like Valencia and Dubai, not be majors. So Maybe each race should only have a single gender be an elite race. Chicago has an elite women's race in twenty twenty one. In twenty twenty two, they could have an elite men's race, and then that way there would be enough people to go around. Maybe London could always have best, both, because they're the best and the and the richest.
1: I mean, should we be honest here? Valencia really should be a major. I mean, the deepest marathon of last year was Valencia. The, like, if you look at, it was not just the deepest last year; it's probably the deepest marathon of all time. Like, Valencia has major quality fields. Usually, they're a lot better than majors, actually. So, I don't know. De facto or... De I'm not going to
2: count a pandemic Valencia as a major. I mean, that's an off year.
1: All right. Look at the 2019 fields. They're pretty damn impressive, too. Like, Valencia... I'm telling you, you put up Valencia's field this year against the other full majors, I think it's going to be probably middle of, You know, better than half of the majors, maybe better than all of them. Maybe not London, but... It's gonna be up. There. They have Rojo. They have a Spanish billionaire who's basically just putting millions of his own dollars into this race. Like they're going to get Studley Fields.
2: We really gotta butter that guy up, you know. Particularly with my Hispanic nickname Rojo, Uijo. like think about it. He could drop a couple hundred thousand dollars for media. Come our way, we could be driving Teslas like the like the guys in the Ten minute Elite Team.
1: All right. I don't know how we got away. I mean, do we want to talk about pre-classic anymore? Because that's sort of the more pressing concern. I I do want to talk about some of these full major marathon fields, but I mean, can we talk about Shakari Richardson? Arguably the most exciting, one of the most exciting athletes in the entire sport. She's running for the first time this year since the Olympic trials this weekend. We haven't mentioned her yet.
2: We can do that in a second, John. I want to get back to these gradings that you do. Will you admit that a B minus for for Ellie Perry was a terrible grade for you to give,
1: Robert. After listening to your reasoning on this podcast and reading it on in the article, I think I'm I think you're correct. I think that should have been a C because I did have higher hopes for her. I was disappointed by it, but like 401, I don't know. It was it was an off race. Like she did make the final, but yeah, I think that's fair. I also think we just have a bit of a different. Opinion like I don't view a B minus is really a, a great grade and you sort of think it's kind of good or above average, uh, you know,
2: well, no, it, to be honest. Like, yeah, like I never got a B minus in my life that would be viewed as a bad grade, but I, I, I'm using the grading form as a is excellent B is good. C is fair. D is disappointing. So I'm kind of doing the old school way, which no one actually grades and people wondering, are these grades based on effort or whatever? No, it's based on like your expectations and based on what you've, you've done in the past. What was interesting to me was the women's 10,000 grades, because I'm not going to lie. When I was at the stadium, and, I, you know, we're typing or whatever. I look up at the women's 10,000. I'm like, why are the American women running terrible? All of them. They were dropped so early. And then when you actually look at it, they ran fairly close to their PRs in really hot weather. And I was talking to John Kellogg about it. He's just like, no, they just were overmatched in that race. They didn't run bad at all. Just people, on, some people in the forum were like, they didn't run well. They're not competitive. I'm like, yeah, Joe Klecker wasn't competitive either. But was it really realistic for us to expect these people to be competitive? And the answer was probably no.
1: Yeah. I saw people on the forum. They're like these Americans, they were in the teens. They got smoked. Like they, they, the women's 10 K runners got lapped. How can they get B pluses? I'm like, well, yeah, because they want to, like, will you expect them to be up there with Safan Hassan and Letesimbeck Gide? Of course not. So yeah, I thought some of those ones ran fine. I mean, Robert, were there any other grades you thought were, I just were totally egregious? I thought this all right, I thought this criticism was ridiculous. I gave a thing Mo an A+ and I said, you know, if I was if there was a higher grade, I would give it to her because she front ran the Olympic final at age 19 and set an American record. And then Robert said, there is a higher grade. It's called A+++ plus 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 plus. I, I didn't know that grade existed. I, I feel like that's an unfair criticism on my part to just invent an A with eight pluses and say, yeah, you should have given her this make-believe grade.
2: Well, I just felt like you needed to acknowledge, like we expected her to do that, but we needed to acknowledge, like she came in with a lot of pressure. Like she's the Olympic favorite. She's never been to an international meet before, like um, as a senior athlete. And then just totally unfazed by it and never showed any hint of like the moment being too big for, or like never was in a bad tactical spot. Never almost felt. Remember, she almost fell at the U.S. draws. Like it was just she. She was like David Radisha. It was like a. It was like watching a virtuoso, you know, maestro performance. So, you know, th- that was amazing. I would have one small quibble. I feel like we gave Jared Nagoose an, inc- uh, an incomplete. Should we kill that? I think that we're doing grading. Should that have been like? an unexcused absence or excused absence. I think, you know, we should have gone with that, with that language. And more I think about it, by the way, some people have been looking at your, Nagusa's training log. I don't know how they have access to it. Someone told me he has not actually missed a day of running. He's run every single day. He just can't sprint. So that <laughs> kind of sucks to be
0: him. Unexcused absence.
1: Unexcused, excused absence. He can't sprint. Well, then you can't make an Olympic final If you can't sprint.
0: You're there, you're depriving someone else of an Olympic experience. Run the no, race.
1: No, no, that's, that's, that's a false equivalency because he thought he wanted to see if it turned around. It's not like Craig Engels on the day of the final when Nagoose says he can't, oh, sorry, the day of the prelims, Nagoose says he can't run, that they can enter Craig Engels, who, on pardon my take, admitted for the four weeks after the trials had just been partying, basically. That doesn't matter if he's partying. I don't care if he's partying.
0: I could care less. You think Prefontaine didn't party before the Olympics? Okay, fine. Maybe he didn't take his spot, but you're there. Just give it a go, man. Like, I don't understand. Like, what? You got to get ready for the... He's Is he turning pro? I, I don't know. He's not turning pro. I, I'm shocked
2: he didn't run it, but I've had hamstring issues. My problem, you don't want to develop a serious hamstring problem because it never goes away. So I, I see that. I'm just shocked. I, I said, why didn't he just jog it? You know, people go. Oh, that's disrespectful to the event. So some people are giving him credit for skipping it. So I, originally I was mad that Ingles didn't get to replace him. Well, there was no way Ingles was going to replace him. He wants to give it a go the day of. He warms up. He thinks he's going to run. He decides he can't run. And he respects the event too much to jog it. So it's just you think he didn't want to run that event? I just think it's a little bit strange that this guy didn't even miss a day of
0: running. You know.
1: Oh, I have no issues with what he did. I think excused absence is perfectly fine.
0: Lo and behold, someone go out there and fail these days. I just figured, give it a go. Go out there like I did and drop out at the Pan Am Games.
1: Well, one thing, this might be opening a can of worms here. I gave Alphine Tuliamak like a grade of incomplete because she ended up dropping out of the marathon just before halfway. She said she had a hip injury. It came about a couple weeks ago. You know, she tried to give it a go, but... She just wasn't able to run. She ended up having to drop out. I said it was pretty inspirational to me that she was able to get on the start line for the race, given that she gave birth in January. Now she, you know, she had gotten herself into decent shape and was out there at the Olympics competing in front of her daughter. I got a message from someone within the sport today who didn't really find this inspirational. I guess, were you were you guys inspired by Alephine or what were your thoughts on her, her performance in Tokyo?
0: John, come on, reveal the person. Let's do it. I'm not going to do that. Reveal the sex of the person, John. Was it a sexist man?
1: It was, it was a man. I'll say that. Of
0: course. Of course. Read the text to us. Read it to us.
1: All the person said was, say what you want, but how is that inspirational? I, I thought it was inspirational. I, I was pretty inspired by someone getting to the start line after giving birth in January. That's a pretty quick turnaround. She looked like she was in pretty decent shape. Obviously, she didn't finish the race, and that was because she of an injury she picked up a couple weeks ago. But I've been following her progress. You know, Ben Rosario sends out a newsletter about the Hoka Naz Elite team every week. He's saying, "Hey, you know, she took about a month off after the giving the giving birth to rebuild her pelvic floor, and then she starts tracking her runs." They all say, "Like, hey, this is how far away Allie is. This is what she's been doing." And then she starts doing some real work. I just thought it was pretty cool to see her go from, you know, heavily pregnant in January, giving birth to a human, to then running the Olympic marathon in in August. I found that to be inspiring, but I guess didn't inspire everyone.
0: I mean, I don't know what to say. I think it's cool she did it, but yeah, maybe we lots of women have not lots, but there's women who have had given birth in one major marathon in a quicker time frame than this. So it's obviously not impossible. I think it's a good. I mean, giving birth is its one of the most wonderful things in the world. I mean, it's what keeps this – forget about keeping the species going, but it's just such a unique perspective for women. Am I allowed to say that anymore, John, or did I just break some rules by saying that women give birth? But I, I don't know. Do we need to, like, every time now somebody does this, say, oh, this is the most inspirational thing ever? I guess not. But, like, I, I think it's a, it's a very – Alephine like a role model for all these other women saying, look, you can, you know, if you want to, you can get birth and get back to a high level of athletic ability pretty quickly. So that is inspiring. I bet,
2: I bet millions of dollars that the guy that texted John is not married, does not have a wife and does not have kids. True or false?
1: I'm not going to go into any further details about this individual.
2: Okay. I, I found it inspiring. I do think it's, it does happen though. Like I'm amazed, like childbirth was really hard when I experienced it, like when I saw my wife do it, I thought it was really hard. Some people bounce back really quickly. Like look at Eilish McColgan's mother, Liz. She won the world title. She gave birth to Eilish McColgan in 1990 in November. She won the world title at the end of August. So there's a little bit more time than there than here. Right. But not much. And she was the world champion, which is pretty crazy. And then the one of the, probably the, the craziest childbirth and most impressive to me was Gwen Jorgensen. You guys remember that? She, she gave birth and then like six months later it ran like a 15, 17 or fifteen, eleven, five thousand. 5,000. What was the time frame on that? So, but then you're getting into the thing of like, you know, I mean, th- there was a woman in my old apartment building. She was like teaching her yoga class like two weeks after giving birth. Like, I don't know. Some women just blow, it's mind blowing what they can do. And then some women it takes years. So to each their own, I think I do think it's you know we we should be celebrating mothers as as a new dad. I think they're amazing. That being said, I can see why some people are like, "Look, are we going to celebrate every mother, every every athlete that gives birth? Then it's going to be the greatest story ever." I think in the past we haven't given them enough credit, and I do think it's interesting. And I actually think for the future of women's sports, it's good that we do celebrate this because, you know, one of the things that was a big story in the Olympic marathon was. The Israeli athlete said I had my period, and that's why I had to drop out, you know, start walking. I guess she didn't drop out. Well, guess what? A transgender athlete will never have their period. That's all I have to say about that. Okay.
1: Well, I'm not surprised, Robert, what that ends somehow. I'm well then I'm surprised you didn't bring up Paula Radcliffe, two thousand seven. She gave birth to her daughter Isla in January. And November she wins the New York City Marathon. So that's a pretty quick turnaround as well. Can we return? can we talk about your Carrie Richardson now? I feel like I'm the only one who wants to talk about, you know, she she's mainstream America. This is one of the few track people they can probably name. And she is making her dramatic return to the sport. And guess what? She's only facing two of the greatest sprinters of all time in Elaine Thompson, Hera, and Shelly Ann Fraser-Price. I kind of expect Elaine Thompson to kick everyone's butt again. Like, why wouldn't she? But what do you guys think from this women's hundred? And remember, she carries also running the 200 later in the meet. Okay, this is going to be amazing. She's got all three
2: Olympic medalists. She's been talking a big game and sort of taking credit for Elaine Thompson running fast this year and whatever. And guess what? These women went one, two, three in the Olympics without Shakari being there. And I liked the Sha'Carri story. I thought it was a joke that she wasn't in the Olympics. But for some reason now, just as a fan, this may not be right, I'm rooting for the Jamaicans to crush her. And I expect the Jamaicans to crush her. At least one of them. Why? I feel like... Look at the times that were run at this Hayward Field track at the Olympic Trials by the U.S. spinners. Gabby Thomas, 21 6. What did she run at the Olympics, John? Nothing close to that. Trayvon Brummel, 10. Did he run ten-eight-zero to win the Olympic Trials?
1: No, no. That would have been pretty tactical men's 100. He ran 9.8.0 to win the men's 100. 9.8.0
2: at the Olympic Trials. Can't even, can barely break 10 flat at the Olympics. So I think there was like a 0.2 gap. Like it would be interesting to see the difference. People were roughly running like two tenths of a second. Some of the real outliers re- regressed quite a lot. So I think the Hayward Field track is probably faster. Well, I don't know if it's faster than... Well, the you're track.
1: saying here, Robert, 10 Elaine Thompson ran 10 one in Tokyo. If you think Hayward Field's a faster track, are we on world record watch here? in the two in the 100?
2: Well, I don't know. I can't play it both ways because how can... I'm thinking it's a faster track, but then if it's a faster track, that would put us in world record range, but I don't think it's going to happen. But it did cross my mind. It did cross my mind. But then why would the Tokyo... I guess the Tokyo guy's just lying when he says his track's 1% to 2% faster?
1: Well, maybe. I mean, I don't know what kind of track the Haywood Field is one. But I would imagine they're probably similar levels of quickness. I think the Haywood Field one was very fast, and maybe it's just you get to the Olympics and they put so much into the trials they couldn't repeat the performances there. But, like, I mean... Who's his face. Ry Benjamin ran faster in Tokyo. Allison Felix ran faster in Tokyo. Fred Curley ran faster in Tokyo. I think some of it's on the athlete and some of it's the track.
2: I need the schedule, John. I can't find a pre-classic schedule. What time of day is this race going off locally in Eugene? Because it brings me to my favorite segment, the weather segment. I've been looking at the Eugene weather. The weather was horrific during the trials. It was over 100 degrees. It was so hot. And I do think that help the sprint times though, super hot weather is good for sprinters, whether they want to, they may not feel good warming up in it, but they feel they run fast, but the weather for Eugene is actually going to be perfect as a whole for the meat because the high on Friday is going to be like 78 degrees at 4 PM. But when you get to 10 PM, when the world record attempt goes off, it's going to be 62 degrees. The wind is going to be minimal, five miles an hour, dew point 55, it's going to be perfect. For a world record attempt,
1: yeah, wow, they're go they're going seriously about that, Robert. Like 10 p.m. start time for a race. I guess you might have that at Stanford sometimes, but that's pretty late. Um, for I may for be a asleep on that attempt. one. But for what time is the women's 100? 141 p.m. Pacific time. Okay,
2: that makes me a little bit nervous. I mean, this is on Saturday. 141 is the high is going to be 78 or 9 on Saturday. But at 140, it's only going to be well, 68 at 12 o'clock, 73 at 2 o'clock. So it's going to be about 71, 72 degrees. I don't think that's quite warm enough for a super fast time in the 100 meters.
1: There you have it. That's your, your Rojo weather update. But who do you guys think is going to
2: win? Yes or no? Does Shakira win this race? I say no.
1: No. I think she's the third best person in this field. And, you know, I guess I think she... I think she'll beat Jackson. I guess it depends what she's been up to. We haven't seen her since she was on what Good Morning America or what, whatever TV show Today Show Today Show with NBC. So I think it should be Fraser Fraser Price and Thompson Hero in some in some order. And we saw in Tokyo Thompson Hero was on a different level. So I expect Elaine Thompson Hero to win this race, assuming that she's still healthy from Tokyo.
0: This one's interesting because, one, Shikari's assumedly got a lot of motivation to show that she could have done something in the Olympics, beat these women. But you guys were in Tokyo. You talked to Elaine. You talked to Shelly Ann. Robert, didn't you say at one point that Shikari's name came up or American sprinter marijuana, and they immediately sort of shut the conversation didn't want to talk much about it? Can you explain that a little bit more?
2: repeatedly john what's the best way to describe this you talked about shikari having motivation and sure there could be some post olympic fatigue but i think these women they're not going to just go through the motions here because i think they want to put shikari richardson down they did not want to hear her name they didn't want to hear marijuana John, explain it to him i'm having okay. a tough time
1: the two situations were in the mix zone elaine thompson was fielding questions and robert asked her Shakari Richardson, as you know, wasn't here. She was suspended. Like, what do you think? Basically, like, what would she have done here? What, how would the race have been different? That sort of thing. And Elaine Thompson very quickly just said, "No comment." Moves on. So then, in the press conference with all three medalists, some reporter, I think it was an American reporter, essentially was going to ask about Shakari. He brings up something like, um, "You know, water rules marijuana." As soon as the word marijuana is out of his mouth the Jamaicans just look at it like Fraser Price and Thompson here look at each other. They're just like, no, nope, no nope, wrong people not answering that. Sorry. Next question. So look, to, in their defense, they just won medals at the Olympics. Like they don't want to talk about some American who's not here, but at the same time, it seemed to me like they just did not want to talk about this topic. I don't know what the relationship is like between the Jamaicans and Shikari Richardson We'll see when we get to the pre-classic, but yes, I think Roger is right. They're going to have some motivation to put her in her place. All right, any other pre-classic races that we're excited about? We talked, I mean, we said women's 800s is basically an Olympic final rematch. Women's 1500, we've got Faith Kipigon, Laura Muir. I expect, I mean, Josette Norris got in there. She's been running well, sub four now. I mean, I kind of expect Kipigon just to parade in that one. Women's steeple. Could we see the first sub nine by an American? Could we get redemption for Emma Coburn? She's running. Courtney Furex is running. Leah Fallon. Nora Geruto, who couldn't run the Olympics, but won a Diamond League earlier this year. Uh, there's no proof. Chemitai, who's the Olympic champ. So that one, if things come together, maybe we could see the American record. And then the men's 100, Ronnie Baker, Trayvon Bromell, Andre DeGrasse, Fred Curley, Justin Gatlin, Michael Norman. I mean, Norman in there, he ran 986. That was fascinating. There's no Marcel Jacobs, as we said on the Friday 15th. He shut his season down. Robert, which of these events appeals to you? Well,
2: I'm really excited for the women's steeplechase in the same sense of the weather's going to be good. It's not going to be too hot for the women. And the question I had about Matthew Sintowitz getting Olympic redemption Emma Coburn here. Now, I, I don't think, if Emma becomes the first American to break nine and gets the American record, I think he'll erase most of the, Disappointment from the Olympics, but not all of that because she's not an Olympic champion. And to be honest, the Olympic gold medal was there to be ta- was there to be f- there for the taking. I mean, Per Ruth Chimitai, no one expected her to win it. So if Emma runs what she was capable of, she very well could have won the gold. I think she definitely would have won the silver. She never loses to, to Freriks. So American record alert in that one, I think that's got to be legit because a lot of times on the Diamond League, it's too hot. Now the steeple, the weather doesn't matter too much, but this is going to be great conditions for this type of year. She's going to be super motivated. Can't wait for that one.
1: Let's remember, Courtney Franks could also break this American record. She is the current record holder. I think she said, you know, in Tokyo she had some of the best training of her life. I think she thought she was in the shape of her life, and she ran like it in Tokyo. She could also very easily get this record. How great would it be if we had two Americans going sub nine? But I think, I mean, all right, I'm going to put this to you more likely to get sub nine in this race, Emma Coburn or Courtney Freirex?
2: Wow. That's tough. That's tough. I mean, after the trials, I thought, okay, Coburn just owns Freirex, but then Coburn talked a big game kind of before the trials, right? Didn't we think she was in shape for some reason? And then she delivered with a big move. And now I'm like, the, the, again, on Wednesday, we our perspective could be 180 degrees. If Freirex goes out there and breaks nine, Sets the American record, and wins this race. We're like, she's the best. Now, could she? Would, 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 and she could possibly go down as the goat in a U.S. women's steeplechase. It's going to be hard for her though, because she's two and twelve against Coburn.
1: Yeah, Coburn's won every U.S. title that she's been in the race for since 2011. Courtney Francis has won zero U.S. titles.
2: And the world title is going to make it tough, but that world title comes with an asterisk because, come on.
1: What? I mean, all right. She beat who was on the line. She also beat Frerix in that race. Well, then, more likely to go sub nine. I'm putting you on the spot, Frerix or Coburn.
0: This was just always a no brainer answer for me. I I didn't know how Courtney Frerix had the American record. I didn't even, I viewed Coburn as almost a class above her. And it's really hard to change stereotypes in her head. But that run by Frerix at Worlds was so amazing. The Olympics was so amazing. And Coburn was just so bad. So, but in my mind, I I still can't do it. Um, Gosh, I still think Coburn's more likely to do it. I feel like the Olympics was Frerich's chance and she didn't do it. It was the most inspiring run I've seen by an American steeplechaser. To me, it was more inspiring. It was up there with Jager's run. Those are my two favorite. Sure, Coburn won the gold, but uh, that race—I don't think it gets an asterisk. But it was—it was crazy. Like weird stuff happened. But this one, there was no excuses. Anything. She just went out. It wasn't expected, and just took it to everyone, and was going to win the gold medal if the race was twenty-six hundred meters. But they're not. So will she have a letdown? A post-olympic letdown? Is Coburn the one super motivated? I mean, what if Coburn just... If somebody runs 8.55, it's Coburn. You know, I don't think Frerichs – I don't think there's another level. But it's going to be much better weather. It's going to be really good distance weather. So it's a great one to watch. What's your prediction, John?
2: Who's more likely?
1: I th- I think it's Frerichs, but I, I don't – I mean <laughs> – I don't want to see as if I'm counting out Emma Coburn because I think she got in there and for whatever reason, she didn't react to all the heat. I don't know. She said all her workouts have been going well. I just write that as a, as a fluke race. It was it was the worst race of her life. It happens to come at the worst possible moment. So I feel bad for her, but I think Emma Coburn's still fit. That said, Frerix is really fit right now as well. So I think I'm going to go with Frerix, but I wouldn't. Be, this is why I'm really excited about this race because we've got... The two best ever to do it in this country, both racing on home soil and both chasing this barrier that's been on the periphery of what they've been capable of for so long. So to see someone finally get it in the U.S. at pre-classic, that would be awesome.
2: This is why I'm so pumped about this meet. Walden said "Are are people at the beginning of the show, it's like, are people down? No, this is going to be, I don't know. I'm almost as excited for this meet as the Olympics because I expect sub nine to go. The American record will go in this race. I'm just not sure who's going to get it. I mean, Firex ran 9:04 in the heat of Tokyo off a slow start. Um, so, you know, better weather. I think that's and a faster start. I think that's worth four seconds. I think Coburn's got to be considered more likely to do it. Although Coburn seemed pretty maxed out when she was running that nine flat pace, you know. So I I, I think it's going to be one of them's going to do it at least. And it's going to be exciting. And the one thing we haven't talked about in this race is we do have the world's best steepler in this race. I've been playing my young lady up the entire time. Isn't this Nora Gerudo? It's disgraceful that she's not been allowed to switch countries. I don't understand this. She doesn't want to run for Kenya. She has to run for Kenya.
1: She can't run for Kenya. If, if the Olympics, she's no longer a Kenyan citizen.
2: So anyways, she's run nine flat this year. She's in this race as well. So she could be the winner. Um, Excited for that race for sure.
1: Yeah, I will say quickly on the men's hundred, I'm gonna be watching Trayvon Bromel closely. Like if Bromel if he comes out and runs like nine eight low and wins this race, do we have to just call the Olympics like a huge choke job? Like I think it's gonna be interesting how he runs in this race is going to sort of it could change the narrative for how he ran in Tokyo. If he comes out and he just has nothing left and he gets smoked, maybe you're just like, wow, he was he went too hard too early. He was kind of cooked and slowing down by the end of Tokyo. But if he comes out and he's got something amazing left in his legs, then maybe think we think it was mental.
2: I don't think it was a choke job. He was running 9-9 highs in Europe before the Olympics. And he ran 9-9 highs in Tokyo. So if he runs 9-8, it's going to shock me. Absolutely shock me if he does that here. Then I, yeah I'll have to analyze it. But I still wouldn't. Be convinced. Why would you be choking in the first round of the Olympics? He didn't look good in the first round. He didn't look good in the second round. If you're gonna, if you're gonna let the pressure get to you, like like the Chinese guy Sun Jing, who always chokes in the final. By the way, I didn't realize that because I don't pay that much attention to this guy. Someone's like the Chinese guy never brings it in the final. I mean, he could have. Remember, the Chinese guy was second in the semifinal. He beat Jacobs in the semifinal. Nowhere to be seen in the final. Same thing with Ronnie Baker.
1: Well, th- my defense of those guys, Ronnie Baker and Su Bing Chan. Both ran 983. They ran personal best in the semis. Coming back after running a personal best in the semi to then run another personal best to win the gold in the final, that's really, really hard to do. Like I think what's it's more amazing that Jacobs ran 984 in the semi and then runs 980, both of which were humongous personal best, you know, three hours apart, than Baker and Subing Tam running lifetime best just to qualify for the final. And then running slower in the—that's what I would have expected to happen.
0: I mean, was it the Friday Fifteen or last week's podcast where I was saying, yeah, that Trayvon Bromell and a few other people are in interesting spots if they run well after the Olympics, you're like, hey, did they just choke or what was the deal? But guys, I got a new office. You see what's behind me? Can you guys
1: see what's on the shelves? Drink uh, a couple. We got a couple books. I can't make out the titles.
0: Oh, no. Those, are, those aren't those are books, John. No reading here. <laughs> those are drink element tea boxes. Oh. I keep getting more. I, I think I might do a whole pyramid, like stack like 20 boxes. But, John, maybe that was the problem. Maybe Trayvon Brumell was not prepared for the heat. He should have had drink element tea. It travels well, little packet you can put it in. So that way you want a bunch of salt one time, you don't dilute it as much. You want it – More watery, you dilute it. It's electrolytes without the drunk. Try it out. Drink slash let's run free sample pack. I'll refund your five bucks shipping if you don't like it.
2: I'm excited to see Michael Norman in this 100 meters. I've got a new Twitter follow. I think this guy's name is at Ray's TV. Do you know who this is, John? Is it the next sprinter? I don't know who this person is.
1: This was the guy who was saying that some, he, with no naming names he said that someone from the u.s team was gonna test positive and get out of the olympics and then nothing came of it so i don't really know what he was talking about there but he is a big track fan i think i don't know if he was talking about sam kendricks or was he talking about a drug positive that didn't end up happening
2: no he said there was a hurdle drug positive right oh i forgot so that's where i started following this person but they're like why is michael norman in the final uh, in this final 100 final dude the guy ran nine ninety six last year I'm excited to see. He's clearly not been running well in the 400. There's no 400 in this meet, so could he be pulling a Fred Curley soon?
1: He said this. Robert, this is actually a funny thing, though, right? Michael Norman, a few years ago, said he wanted to move to the 100. Wade Van Niekirk for a while, has said he wants to move to the 100. And we sort of laughed at the time. We're like, dude, you're like one of the best in the world, the 400. Why would you move down to the 100? Now Fred Curley has shown actually, maybe we shouldn't be laughing at these people. Maybe this is a great idea. So Michael Norman, maybe his goal was, you know, I'll run the 400, I'll win either worlds, or I'll win the Olympics, and then I'll move down to the 100. And maybe if he runs well here, he just has the same idea. He says, you know what? Wasn't working out for me in the 400. I'm going to move down to the 100 and see if I can pull Fred Curley and be the best in the world.
0: So, guys, Ray's TV is Ray Edwards. He's a former 10.00 U.S. sprinter. Made a world's team once. All right. I want you guys to guess. At 10.00, that makes him the blank fastest man of all time.
1: 213th.
2: I should go less. How many people have broken 10 flat?
0: I was going to say originally 700. I'm going to say 173. One hundred fifty six. He's tied for 157 on the all-time list. Yeah, Race TV is pretty entertaining, even though he was really wrong on the one positive. But maybe, yeah, maybe he heard someone big was out of the games. He flashed his phone at one point. Let's run Sleuth. somehow thought he was talking about the 110-meter hurdles. So he never officially said someone in the 110-meter hurdles tested positive. He just said there was a big name. And he also implied there was a big Jamaican positive. But none of that has yet to come out.
2: Speaking of big and testing positive and the 100 meters. I think last week we talked about how one of the Kenyans did get test positive in the 100 at the Olympics. And I wasn't sure if it was the guy that actually ran in the Olympics or not. I guess it wasn't the guy that ran in the Olympics. But the guy that ran in the Olympics, Ferdinand Omanyalo Amara, who is jacked and pretty muscular, ran a 986 last week somewhere in Europe. Kenya's first sub-10. So this guy... I mean, he almost made the final in the Olympics. He was really close. And then he runs 96. And this guy is a former rugby player who has been popped for drugs in the past. So is he still benefiting from the drugs like Jake... like uh, Justin Gatlin, or is he on drugs yet again? Because this is very suspicious to me.
1: I mean, obviously, his improvement this year is enormous. You know, he'd never run 10 seconds. His actual... I mean, Kyle Merber, I'll give him a shout-out here. He's got a newsletter, The the Lap Count, and had a pretty good summation of this situation. His PR coming into this year was 10.32 seconds. He's now run 9.86, which is just a ridiculous improvement for a 100-meter sprinter. And yes, he was banned in 2018 for beta methazone. And then Kyle actually read through the, the case, and he said essentially... He blamed a medication for it. He took this medication. He had severe back pain that was hampering his ability to walk properly, according to Kyle. And, you know, he told the doctor he couldn't take illegal substances, but I don't think he specified like illegal meant everything on the wider band list and not necessarily, you know, just things that were illegal by under Kenyan law. So anyway, yes, he did serve this ban. You know, lots of people who serve bans say they're innocent that they took it accidentally, I don't know. You can make your own judgments, but his improvement this year, I mean, 9.86 from 10.3 is pretty crazy. Okay. Shall we talk about full marathon fields real quick? We had an announcement. I don't know if you guys saw this this morning. New York City has now announced some of its field. They've announced the U.S. women's field. And I think the reason they're leading with this is because it's actually a very exciting field. They managed to get all three U.S. marathon Olympians and Emily Sisson in her third ever marathon. And Des Linden, who's coming back four months after Boston to run this race. Now, you, New York's got an advantage here. Four months after four, Boston? Four weeks, sorry. Four weeks after Boston. I'm supposed to be excited
2: about this? That Des Linden's picking up another paycheck four weeks after running Boston? That's just a
1: joke. You're supposed to be excited because Des Linden is exciting to watch. And is did you not hear the first part of what I said? All three U.S. Olympians... And Emily Sisson. I thought you were the man who's been saying, Emily Sisson, I knew she'd be a good marathoner ever since her coach Ray Tracy told me at the 2015 Boston Marathon. Like, I, if you're not excited about this U.S. field, I don't know what you're going to be excited about, Robert.
0: How dare, Robert? Des Linden is a let Supporters Club member. She can lower the can now establish a market for Boston and New York four weeks apart. No one ever will be able to, to accomplish this. How much do you think they'd pay for someone like that to come back four weeks later? Like, of course you're dead. I mean, like I do it if I'm her. But is your appearance fee like half what it would normally be? I mean, I'm just kind of fascinated by this. I'd love to know the money. If somebody wants to email us. We do at dot com.
2: Someone, please, an, a- an agent, please email us and give us an idea of what an appearance fee for these women would be, because. I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I shouldn't be ripping on it because they're they're gonna, if they don't get the names, they make a They don't bother to get the names. But I don't know. I'm excited to see Molly Sidell run. I know it's a short turnaround. The other Olympians doesn't do it for me. Um, and Des Linden four weeks after Boston. I'm sorry. That's just that's a nice name to have in the field to put her on TV. But Des Linden's days of competing for a major marathon title are long past.
1: Wow! Shots fired, Des. You hear that? Robert's counting you out. We got. I'm not counting her. Yes, you are. You just said her days competing for a major marathon title a long pass. Hey, guess what? She's running two this fall.
2: I want Des to run the Western States, comrades. The ultra marathon scene is where it's out. Des, your legacy is already set at the 26.2 distance. She needs to move up to the longer distance. Hey, but I'm excited. I mean, we well, there's only so many elites to go around, so I don't have a problem with the super shoes. Like, run as many marathons as you can. This is good. But if people are willing to do that, why aren't some of these races like Chicago getting people from the Olympics, etc., to fill out their
0: fields a little bit more? John, come on. You think Dez can win a major marathon right now?
1: Well, wait a second, Weldon. Let's just think about this. Did we not say the women's field, like we've been criticizing some of these fields, Boston Marathon, you know, the fields that and Nikita clearly she's in good shape, but she just won Falmouth. But in general, like who's in Boston are you like, oh man, she's coming into the race in great form. She's unbeatable. I don't know if there's anyone that I feel that way about in the Boston Marathon field. Would you be shocked if Des is hanging there? It's a pretty hot day and you know, we got five miles left, we're at Heartbreak Hill, and Des Linden's leading the pack up there. I wouldn't be stunned by that.
0: Okay, fine. If if your competition is a forty one year old Edna Kiplagat, if that's it, I guess anybody can win one. But John, I wouldn't have thought Des Linden could have won the Boston Marathon when she won the Boston Marathon. I didn't think Med could win when he did either. So that's some of the beauty of sports. But if it's like a one in 50 chance, one in a hundred, fine. Maybe if we want to go there, that's fine. I mean, if Des didn't win the Boston Marathon, Sarah Sellers would be your Boston Marathon champion right now. So I think her winning chances were crazy, but she almost won it another time. What five years before that. So I'm not trying to knock Des. I mean, her, her career has been absolutely amazing, you know, wringing everything out of every ounce of talent she's got.
1: I just want to say that dramatic proclamations about people not being able to do things in a marathon have not had a great track record in this podcast recently. I remember not even a month ago, throwing out the possibility that Molly Seidel could medal in the Olympic marathon was immediately shut down by one of the co-hosts of this podcast, so that was
0: me, and I fessed up on the John message board. John, one, both. I said I'd pay someone ten thousand dollars if she was up there halfway. Nobody took me up on the bet, but I said I bet you ten grand she's not there at halfway. So yes, but for a sports hot take, it's really not that crazy to see Molly Saito so had no chance. Nobody picked her in the prediction contest. I guess we should pull that up and see what percent people picked because i got to give intern Carl credit intern Carl did a lot of the entries for their prediction contest. And he'd like include all the Americans as individual choices for medals. And I'm like, come on, man, like let's not waste our time. So I think I combined all the Americans and then marathon. Okay. I went and looked this up. Any American was an option in the running warehouse prediction contest. Guys, remember to buy your shoes at running warehouse free two day shipping and you can return the shoes for free as well. If they don't fit, Runningwarehouse.com. any American was an option. And 7.3% of you guys pinned. So you guys thought one of the Americans were metal, or you are being homers and like, come on, hoping. I mean, I do that, that with a lot of my picks as well. I don't really think they were going to do it. You just kind of like want to have someone to root for.
2: I owned up my. Selling off of Molly Sidell incorrectly. On the message board this week, I said, look, we're handing out these grades. Here are the grades, by the way. I deserve an F for saying Sidell couldn't medal. But the reality is, I mean, yeah, sometimes I just don't believe, I don't believe in these fluke things. Like, does won a major, which is crazy, but the winning time was 2.39. Yuki Kawauchi won a major. So people don't want to put an asterisk next to it because it's an American, but if it wasn't an American we put a damn big asterisk next to that race because it was like a fluke of fluke of flukes. Now, Seidel, there only weren't that many flukes except for they only let in three Kenyans and three Ethiopians to the Olympics. And someone did point this out to me. Someone's like, before the Olympic marathon, someone's like, you know what? If things aren't going well, it's super hot. They're not used to running this humidity. A lot of these Kenyans and Ethiopians may not have even prepared for for the humidity. Going gets tough. They may just like bag it to get ready for the fall marathon instead of gutting it out for bronze medal, which is interesting. But that being said, Des has contended for back in her prime, which was maybe 10 years ago, for majors all the time. I've forgotten this. Do you guys realize she was second in Chicago in 2010? But do you consider that to be contending for the prime? I mean, again, Chicago is not often that deep on the women's side. 2010, she runs 226.20 for second, but the winner was 223.40. So, you know, if that person's not in the race, you're the winner, but you're not really that competitive for it. But 2011, Boston was obviously the famous race where it was a three-way sprint finish between her, Carolyn Killell, and Sharon Cherop. She ends up two seconds out of the win in 2:22.38. Fantastic race for that one. So that Des sort of was deserving of a major. Even that surprised me. That Des, the 2011 Des, is the Molly Seidel of this of this era. But I think we're long past that.
1: One other marathon piece of news here I found was interesting. Not sure if you guys saw this. The London Marathon has announced that its 2022 race is going to be held in October. So this is going to be the third year in a row it's a full race. And they're saying this is still COVID related, which I find interesting because they're having a full, they're having their biggest race ever, 50,000 people this fall in London. And then they're going to have another one next spring. But now they say no, they're not having it in the spring. We want more, more certainty. We're having it in the fall. So this, to me, raises up three topics. They say it's going to be going back to April in 2023. Three topics I want to discuss here. One: Should the other marathons be worried? I mean, are they going to say, oh, oh, full marathon? Now we got to recruit against London and their elite fields. Like, are they going? You know, number two: Is London going to be permanently in the fall? It's just this, they realize, hey, we like this. It's a better date for us. We want it in the fall. And three, this clears the path. Kipchoge has to do Boston next year. This is the final thing that needs to fall into place. He loves doing London. It's one of his favorite races, but there is no London Marathon next spring. So what's he going to do? He either does, he's either done London or he's done these races that he sort of concocted himself. Next year, April, 2022, that is finally the time for the defending Olympic champion Elliot Kipchoge to run the Boston Marathon for the first time, it needs to happen.
2: I think it's more likely that he goes to Tokyo. Is Tokyo going to be in the spring? I think Tokyo's in March. Although Tokyo may be worried about COVID. But Tokyo's got more money probably for, for one-off elite than Boston. But this is a great point, John. He should run Boston or Tokyo. It's clear he's going to run one of them now. He has to, right? Anything else, I'm going to rip him for it. So I, I did not know this. This is disappointing to me because now all the talent, London does suck up all the talent. We haven't talked about London this year's fall field. We thought their, their numbers would be down. They've got more sub-204 people, more sub-220 people than ever. I mean, it's amazing how much talent they have. So I did not know they were going to go in the fall again for next year. I wish they would go to the spring. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. If they're going to the largest number ever, why not just do it again next
1: spring? I'm not sure. I guess my other point here was Boston – like, you've had the excuse, and this is a fair, it's a legitimate one, of you recruiting against uh, against London for the spring marathon fields, you know? Uh, it's just hard to, London has the most money, so you're not going to outbid them. Next year, though, there there is no London in the spring. And so I want to see, what can Boston put together? Can we finally get some of these really, stu- like, you know, we've seen a few guys, Dennis Commedo ran it back when he was in his prime, and he DNF'd. Like, it's not like, Boston never gets the big studs, but doesn't get as many as London. How much better is this Boston field going to be next year? I have pretty high expectations. It starts with, if Kipchoge is serious about running all the majors, this is the perfect time for him to run Boston. I want them to go hard after Kipchoge and make you know get him. I'm excited
0: that Kipchoge can't do London. Not excited isn't, isn't the right word, but I think, agree with Robert. I think Tokyo is probably more likely, although COVID will be the big question mark. And I just saw a tweet by Ken Go, our track and field friend, former reporter for the Oregonian, essentially asking, should we be having full football stadiums this fall? And my answer is yes, 100%. I will go to football game. I have no problem. Outdoors, for sure. I don't know. We're having Yankee games right now with 40,000, 50,000 fans. With no mask, no nothing. It doesn't seem to be a problem. Obviously, play to the conditions, but COVID's going to be here forever. we got to get used to living with it. Outdoor sporting events, which includes running, seem very, very safe on the spectrum of things. So let's keep living our lives. Let's keep having sporting events. The calendar can be a little changed next year, but or should we just fear the worst, John? Winter's going to come, and we're still going to be talking about COVID two years from now, three years from now, four years from now. Or is it even well, worthless I'd, talking about?
1: It? Yeah, I'd rather not just talk not talk about this. We don't need to weigh in about our COVID opinions. I I'm lean towards more your camp, Weldon. Everyone's but everyone who's had the chance to get vaccinated has been vaccinated. An outdoor sporting event, I I would feel comfortable with the current state of things in this country going to a football game this fall. Maybe that changes, but I don't want to dwell on this topic.
2: Why? It's an important topic, and I think we should talk about it. And I think that they should go to the Robert Johnson Tokyo 2020. A solution to COVID. You let the fan. Well, they didn't let the fans into Tokyo, but they had signs saying no cheering. I'm dead serious about that. Oh, my God. One solution would be to have fans at a football game, let them wear their mask, and let them hit, like, plastic things or clap. But they don't want you yelling, so you're not exposing large amounts of particles into the air. That would be safer. It's a compromise. But we should definitely have... Stadiums, outdoor stadiums. I mean, at some level, we have to let people be adults if they want to be adults and they're vaccinated.
0: Like all those fans at the Yankee games who are who are doing that right now. We, I'm not some saying... of the Yankees' attendance. I'm sure we're having over forty thousand a game at Yankees games right now. Am I wrong? I don't know. I'm just guessing because Yankees get good attendance. No requirements. You're supposed to be vaccinated or wear a mask. That's the official rule, but they don't check. So, but somehow. People going to Sturgis is a fucking problem. Excuse my language. I'm not saying that, Weldon. I'm not saying there aren't people, but two wrongs don't make a right. I'm just saying
2: there's a safe way to do it. I don't want them canceling it. We went through a whole season with no fans in football. We need need to have fans. At some level, we have to get back to normal. The vaccine's out there. I've taken it. I'm happy to have taken it. I'm I'm trying to compromise between... I, I do believe in the value of personal freedom in this country, but I also... I also believe in the value of science. So uh, people need to somewhat compromise a little bit on this. If you want to go to a public event, some people may think you need to may need to wear a mask or not do your normal activity. I think that's reasonable. We both bend. This country does not bend anymore. It's like one side is all right, one side is all wrong. It's, there's a great threat on Let's Run right now. Does someone? Do people not realize there are people that are pro-vaccination? but anti-mask. like you. If for some reason, it's acting like you're either a COVID denier or a vaccine denier. There are people in the middle ground.
1: All right, all right. We're going way off the tracks here. And while we're doing that, we may as well just mention uh, Brighton and Hove Albion, three points on the first day of the season. Comeback win over Burnley. Crystal Palace embarrassed on the opening day of the season, losing 3-0 to Chelsea. So uh, just want to say, diverging fates for the two beloved clubs of the Let's Run.com Track Talk podcast.
0: It's true, John. I was pretty depressed. Yeah.
1: You're already talking about if if we lose our first five games and then lose our sixth game to Brighton, Patrick Vieira is going to be sacked. So, well, already starting to panic and see how long the manager has left. I'm
0: a true Palace fan. Now, like the do, doom and gloom got there very quickly. But yes, if we go zero and six and lose to Brighton, I, I predict 100 percent of sacking. I'll bet you ten. To, I'll bet you how much you want to bet, John? Three to one odds right now. Wait,
1: no, hold on. True Palace fan. You sent me some Rebecca Lowe video segment with her talking about Patrick's palace. And then you said, Patrick question mark. Who's that? I was like, yeah, that's your new manager, Patrick Vieira. So tr- true palace fan, maybe in quotation marks there.
0: I was trying to set up my office. We have these three British people speaking with these weird accents on TV. It was very hard. Me. And she's like something, blah, blah, blah. Patrick's palace. Last I know, he doesn't own the team. It's, it's, I'm, it's the, the, It's the fans' team. It's not his team. This guy hasn't done anything for us, and now we're calling it Patrick's Palace? I wasn't even a fan when this guy used to play for Arsenal last time I checked. Okay, Anyway,
2: I don't know what y'all are talking about. I don't don't follow this stupid sporting event y'all are talking about, but just before we go, John talked about Des London winning Boston. Yes, it would surprise me. Here are the PRs of the Boston field as compared to Chicago. Again, Chicago has... One international under the under with a PB under 230. They have three people total in the field with a PB under 225. Boston this year has 21936, 21950, 21952, 22024, 22030, 22057, 22103, 22127, 22132, 22203, 22206, and then you get to Des London at 22238. So she's got the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, 9, 10, 11, 12th best PR. I didn't think about this. We really got to break this down. Boston has 12 runners with PBs. They have 15 runners with a PB under 223. Chicago has three under sub 225. That's ridiculous.
1: Robert, th- this is a good point here because what you would think, but Chicago would just be able to get a couple of these 221 women and pay them to run their race and just add a little depth instead of, you know, Boston getting, what, 12 of them. So I think that's an interesting point you bring up.
0: But you guys have really dropped the big ball, the big question. I've seen all these comments about Chicago has only one international elite under 230. That begs the question, do they have an international elite who runs over 230? Like, or are you guys just saying, like, did they bring someone in the field who has a PB over 230 for any reason? I'm just trying to figure out in today's age, like why you would bring someone in who can't break 230 what, unless it's
1: Well, of course. Well, then they've got Viani La Rosa of Mexico and Diana Okempo of Argentina and Corinne Yem of Lebanon. I thought there were rules in terms of like keeping your major status, you had to have a certain amount of gold la- or platinum label athletes, and I'm curious. Will Chicago qualify for that on the women's side? They do have a certain amount of countries represented, but they've got Sarah Hall and they've got Ruth Are they Do they have enough to qualify as a world marathon major or a platinum label marathon?
2: First of all, I don't even think all the majors are platinum level, which is interesting. I was looking at that the other day. But I, I know for a fact, John, they, they've waived the requirements for the Times this fall. And there's some note about there about like, we will judge you kind of on how you do it or something. But no, the the, the, the way they've kind of have a free pass this year, which is a little ridiculous. So I feel bad actually for going a little soft on them. I was thinking there weren't that many elites to go, but when Boston has 16 of them, uh, they, they could have gotten three or four of them.
0: John, this is like the Super League. Once you're a World Marathon major, you don't lose the status because you created the league. So it's kind of a bit problematic not really. I mean, I don't think, I think Chicago will be fine, but at some point, yeah, would the World Marathon majors, well, I guess there could be a way you could kick one person out probably of the group. I hope it's not in the charter that they have to be permanently in the group. Maybe you could vote and boot somebody out, but
1: we're not there yet.
2: Wait, should we create our own thing then? Maybe we should create the grand slam of marathons.
1: This is Robert's solution to everything. Let's create our own thing. Like, no, we're not going to, how are you going to create that? Where is the money going to come from? It's not even a pipe dream of a pipe dream.
2: No, we just say that these are the majors. We only respect the people that win these races.
1: Ooh, now that, now you're onto something, Robert. That's curious. Yeah. We just say like, all right, for this year, these are the four races that we think are legit. Like, and yeah, you only have four of them. So some of the majors are automatically going to be left out. I mean, that'll, they'll probably piss off a bunch of the world marathon majors folks, but. It'd be interesting. Well, I'm
2: glad we keep track of like how many people run these races. And and I've been doing this since 2017 because I feared for a day like this. I, I noticed that in the, you know, are these marathons always going to be treating the elite race as what they're about? Or are they going to become glorified charity runs? And I was fearful that we would have a day where, These races took advantage of their major status and sort of let the elite field slide. That's why we've been keeping track. I try to
0: keep these races honest and hopefully some constructive criticism helps them. You know, I remember David Monty, former elite athlete coordinator in New York city. One he told me, he's like, you guys wrote some, this is way back, like early 2000s. We pointed out how New York had sort of lost some of its luster. And he's like, I hated reading it. It was true. And then they work to correct the situation. So there aren't that many entities that cover Olympic level running and we do it. And I, I'm not saying we're the only one who has influence, but people do listen. People do care. Everyone, everyone cares. People say they don't care about social media and all this pressure and stuff. There's a huge problem with, I don't know, mental health and stuff. I think a lot of it is related to social media and pressure. And I mean, we haven't said anything in this podcast about, Cameron Burrell. I mean, it's just really sad. He's the former NCA 100-meter champion at the University of Houston, son of Leroy Burrell, the coach at the University of Houston, and former world record holder at 100 meters. And he took his own life this week. It's just really sad. Suicide and mental health have always been issues, but they're becoming more prevalent. And I, th- I think COVID and just the nature of media and stuff these days obviously doesn't help the situation, but social media is one thing that people are really speculating is contributing to this. So I just can't imagine as a father, you know, even friends of Cameron. I mean, at one point there was a tweet last week from Leroy and he's like, I'm just really struggling right now. And can you blame him? I mean, you're supposed to struggle at a a point like this. So just, I don't know my thoughts to, the Burrell family, everyone in New Cameron. And if you're struggling out there, there is help. Life can get better. There's the Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 1 800 273 8255. You just call that number. People can, are there to talk 24 7 800 273 8255 or suicidepreventionlifeline.org. But, you know, struggling in life, it, it, it's common for everybody no matter what you see in social media or whatever, like we all have our issues. So try to get the help you need people.
1: I think on that sad note, we're going to end this week's podcast. Like Weldon said, we feel awful for the Burrell family. You'll be in our thoughts. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm excited for this pre-classic. It's a little, you know, dissonant with what we were just talking about, but it is a great weekend of track that we're going to have out in Eugene.
0: Yep. Thoughts and prayers. Also, my Aunt Ellen passed away this week. Rest in peace. But yeah, we can't end on a sad note. We got pre on Friday. I'm excited now. You guys have got me excited for pre and for supporters club members. We got a second podcast. If you guys want a second podcast, it's a little tighter. We crawl it to Friday 15, which means we promise you 15 minutes, but usually it's about 30, 45 minutes. We'll really break down pre in its totality. Get you pumped up for this weekend. Great weekend, track and field. Watch it on NBC until the Friday 15. Weldon Johnson signing off.
2: Hopefully the, the heat sheets are actually out by Friday. I unfortunately probably will not be on the Friday 15 because I'll be driving up to visit Weldon. and I don't think my wife's going to let me record the car podcast while I drive with my child in the back seat.
0: Sweating too much this summer? You need to replace your electrolytes. you got to try Drink LMNT if you haven't done this. Let's Run users are loving this stuff. I love it. I will refund your $5 shipping if you don't like this. It's free. Free sample pack. You pay $5 shipping. You get six different flavors. Go to drinklmnt.com slash let's run. There's a link in the show notes. Drinklmnt.com slash let's run. Check it out now. I guarantee you'll love it.